Hey everybody, this is Nubia. And I'm Francis. We are your dynamic duo of Chronicles Abroad. As always, our goal is to inspire you to travel with passion and purpose. Now let's get on with the show. Welcome to Chronicles Abroad. I'm Francis. And I'm Nubia. And today we're sitting with Karen M. Ricks. Karen is a world schooling mom and a nomadic chef. She actually had a Montessori school for the last 10 years in Japan. Uh, she's a professional cook and has cooked professionally in restaurants, commercial kitchens, and private homes in four different continents. How cool is that? <laughs> uh, Karen loves spreading her message of embracing a slow food lifestyle. She has a lifelong love for learning and education for peace by teaching people of all ages how to cook for themselves and why they need to share that gift with those they love. Mm, the gift of Welcome, food. Karen. Hey, Karen. Yes. My kind of topic. You speak in my love language. Food, food, food. <laughs> well, all love, day, every day. <laughs> girl, you don't understand. I have a love and appreciation for food like no other. Okay. Mm. So... <laughs> Karen, your journey is quite interesting. Let's learn a little bit more about your travel journey. What sure. is it like to be a nomadic chef? Well, the nomadic part is really, I think, one of those things that tends to capture people's attention and get the oohs and the ahs. My family and I have been wandering. Actually, we have literally circled the globe in the last three years. And at first, there's this kind of trepidation, you know, there's a little excitement, there's that charged energy for getting ready to take a big trip. And something about that part never changes. The main thing is that we just do it rather frequently. <laughs> In the first year or two of our travels, actually, we tended to move as quickly as about at once a month, sometimes extending those stays longer for three to six months. And every single time it's like, oh, we're going to a new place. <laughs> uh, now that we've tended to slow down even a little bit more, it's fun to really dive deeper as a chef into the local cuisine and the produce and the practices, especially the really old school traditional practices that really shaped the culinary history and the traditions in a place. And that's what I'm really loving more as we dive deeper here into our life in Albania. <laughs> this is awesome. So I love what you, what you just said there. But let's take it one step back because you weren't always a nomadic chef. Maybe you've always been a chef and you've always cooked in the kitchen. But before that, you had a Montessori school in Japan. That's right. And I'm curious to hear more about like how you even got that started. Why Japan? You know, how did you even decide on that? So tell us more about that. Sure. Well, my husband and I actually left the United States back in 2007 for Japan. And at first I was completely 
really against the idea. <laughs> I always loved travel. I always wanted to travel the world, but Japan wasn't one of those places that was really on my radar at all. And so he had mentioned the idea after、uh, we'd been married maybe three years. And I laughed it off. I was like, oh, you're crazy. You know, you want to travel? Let's go somewhere where we speak the language, somewhere that's, you know, a little bit closer to home. You know, I figured we'd go as far as South America. And we laughed and we talked about it for a while. And then we didn't talk about it again. <laughs> But another three or four years passed and he was really, really adamant. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to do. This is where, this is what God has really put on my heart. And all of my objections just, Dropped. I was like, okay, it's not about if or when we're going, it's just going to be about how to make it happen. <laughs> so he was recruited by this English language school, the largest in the country, actually. And we took off for Japan. It was only supposed to be for one year, but we absolutely fell in love with the country and it ended up being Ted, <laughs> much to both of our surprise. <laughs> I think that's awesome. I'm sorry to interrupt, <laughs> Francis. I'm just like, you know, because I think that's a dream for a lot of us who are expats or who are nomadic is to have a partner who shares in the passion of travel, right? Exactly. Exactly. So it seems like you were the person that was giving the pushback, and he had to be the person who had to compromise for you're not wanting to go to. But luckily, you guys were able to come to you know, an understanding, and you said, okay, let's just try. So,、mm -hmm. as that partner who was kind of reluctant to go so far out into Asia initially, right?、Yes. And who was like, you know, let's just stay close, you know, let's go somewhere, you know. How is that dynamic? Because literally, I think that being an expat, we have these conversations about dating and marriage and, you know, how would we, you know, compromise and who would compromise? What would we do? Would we give up certain freedoms? You know, it just, the list goes on and on and on and on and on, right? Yes, yes. So he seemed to be, your husband seemed to be the one that was nomadic. He had the nomadic spirit and you know, you, you weren't. How was that transition for you? How did that feel for you to finally get to that point where he was like, okay, let's just go ahead and do it? Well, I would have to say that, first of all, I love my husband dearly and I thank him daily for helping to push me out of my comfort zone and get us to Japan in the first place because we had traveled before, even traveled internationally as a couple. We set off on a big adventure going around a bunch of different countries in Europe on our honeymoon. So it wasn't about not wanting to travel, it was really more about leaving that comfort zone, about going someplace where we didn't know anybody, where we didn't speak the language. Language where everything was going to be new. And what really encouraged me was his passion. It was something that he was drawn to, that he was excited about, that lit him up in a way that he hadn't, quite frankly, in the last few years that we were living in the States. And that was more than anything something that I Desperately wanted to share with him. It was the desire that he was encouraging us to follow together. So it wasn't just like, you know, this is all about me and this is what I really want to do. And one of the things that I love about my husband so much is that he really compliments me. And so, in the things that he is really passionate about, you know, I come up to meet him. And in the things that I'm really passionate about, he comes up to meet me and we make each other better that way. And so, this was a big kind of healthy, I won't even say it was a push. It 
was more like him pulling for me to come and join him in this passionate endeavor. And we've continued to have that same pulling effect on each other. When it was time to embrace this idea of starting a school, for example, which was something I had been passionate about even before we left the United States, he was the one who encouraged me saying, I didn't need to wait until, you know, this magical time period where we thought we were going to be starting our lives again or picking up where we left off back in the United States. It was something that could happen in Japan and it could be even bigger, grander, more magical than I had already anticipated. And it was all of that and then some. <laughs> I love that. And I think your husband is an awesome person for, for doing that and pushing you. One of my favorite quotes that I love sharing with people, it's by Susan David, who's like a psychologist. And she says, discomfort is the price that you pay for a meaningful life. <laughs> courage is fear walking. Ooh, I like that. It just, and, and it makes sense because anything that you want to do and anything that you want to bring meaning into your life, you have to experience the discomfort. Oh, There's yes. just no other way to do it. There's no other way to do it. So kudos to you for leaning into your edge and making it happen because you've created such a colorful life for you and your family. So yeah, kudos to you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so you spent 10 years in Japan. Yes. But yes. at some point, you decided to to let that go what made you decide to let that part of your life go and move on to something else you know we're more than just travel we provide tips resources and hacks for the curious traveler in you so whether you're a lover of travel or just someone who is ready for a change we have something for everyone It was passion, again, for something bigger than the school and the community that we had already created. And it was that love language we were talking about from the beginning, the food. <laughs> I was accepted into this amazing culinary program for food professionals in Italy. And I went from seeing the opportunity and going, oh, wouldn't it be nice if someday to wait a second, what would it take to make that happen now? And then how could we not jump on this incredible opportunity? And so taking a leap like we had done when it was time to leave the States to go to Japan, we did the same thing all over again, like selling 99% of our things, getting rid of our home of 10 years, the school, everything that we had built up over a decade in this new country, this new community, this entire life, our son's hometown, <laughs> and picking up and moving again to another country, another continent, another community language. And talk about leading into the discomfort. There was a lot of discomfort there, <laughs> but even more excitement. And that's what we were really riding high on was the excitement and the anticipation of another amazing chapter in this incredible adventure that we're on. Nice. So you mentioned your son. How old yes. is your son? He is almost nine now, okay. which just blows me away. <laughs> So did you guys have a son before you moved to Japan or was your son born in Japan? He was born in Japan. Nice. Oh, wow. That is awesome. So how does that work? Does Because he was born in Japan, is he automatically a Japanese resident, citizen? No. Or you don't get citizenship? No. no. Uh, it's really funny, too, because when people ask where he's from, he thinks, you know, like most of us do, well, where were you born? And so his answer is Japan. Japan, which confuses so many 
You see his, <laughs> his caramel colored skin and his head full of spiral curls. And people kind of cock their head with this strange, confused look on their face. Like, uh, something is not adding up, right? <laughs> but no, as the child of two U.S. citizens, he was automatically a U.S. citizen. And he, in fact, he had his first passport within just a few weeks of being born. And he maintained Japanese residency as my husband husband and I did based on the work that we were doing first through the schools with which he was teaching and later the school that we founded, which we actually opened just a couple of months after our son was born. But no, he is a U.S. citizen, just as all three of us are. But with all of our world travels, we really have encouraged him to think of himself as a global citizen. We all really are working to not only continue to explore, but to learn more about our place in this entire world because we really belong everywhere. It's beautiful, isn't it? So does he speak um, Japanese? He does. He speaks Japanese. And uh, in fact, we ran into a woman in the grocery store the other day who was surprised to hear us speaking Spanish. I'm not even sure how that got started. <laughs> uh, as we move into different countries and into different community languages, we practice each and every one of them. And so depending on the length of time in which we've been immersed in a language and our previous studies, they kind of ebb and flow. So there's definitely no sense of balance whatsoever among the various languages. But, but he is multilingual and multiliterate. Yeah. Because, you know, I'm, well, Francis and I both are mothers. Our children are pretty much adults now. But a lot of our listeners who want to move abroad but have families, their concern is their family. And I'm like, that's the best yes. gift you can give your child yes. is the gift of travel because yes. they're exposed to so much more than they would ever be exposed to in the States. Absolutely. So could you give just a brief, you know, message to our mothers, right? Or parents about who want to potentially move abroad, but have children and are a little nervous about taking their child and bringing them to another country. What would you say? Go take your children with you. Just go, just do it. What I am always so excited about is the way I have seen my son when we land in a new place, running around in a new park or community center or whatever, bonding, making new friends and the learning experience, the communication skills. And it doesn't matter. It's completely regardless of the language, which country you move to, whatever. The meaningfulness of being immersed in a completely new context has so many rich benefits, both for the linguistic and the cognitive development, for social and emotional and maturity. It, I don't think there is a richer cultural experience that you can provide to your child than to travel the world with them. And one of the reasons that we love doing it so much is because not only are we learning and growing in this process, but so is everyone that we encounter. I can't tell you how many people we have met that are completely blown away because I am the first Black person that they have ever met. Um, you know, my husband and our son, they're, we are 
are the first mixed race family that they've ever seen. We are the first multilingual Americans <laughs> that people have come into contact with. There's so many firsts. There's so much opportunity, so many daily opportunities for us to just completely smash all those silly stereotypes that people have about where we come from, about what we can do, about the things that we're capable of. And so it's one of the most exciting parts of our travel experiences. That's beautiful because you're out here pretty much breaking stereotypes, redefining what people see, redefining narratives. And I think that's really the main goal of travel is to bridge those gaps yes. with other cultures yes. because that creates more understanding. It creates more compassion. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important that you really go out there and travel is not for everybody. We get it. Yeah. You know, whether it's, it's even if you stay at home and, and do it, but even just going from the East to the West, you bring a different perspective mm -hmm. in which that you can really share with other people. So I love that you're out there doing that with your family. But I'm also curious because now you're in Albania. Yes, we How are. in the world did you land up in Albania? <laughs> it is hilarious to hear people ask that question. And we literally get asked that question every single day. And quite frankly, <laughs> I do not uh, fault anyone who has to go searching on a map to figure out where in the world Albania is. <laughs> because I had to do the exact same thing. So in order to transition from the brick and mortar school where we'd been teaching and working and living in Japan to an online business model, I was working with a business consultant and she and her family happened to be living right here in Albania at the time that we connected. And it was just amazing to hear her talking about what a wonderful and warm and welcoming place Albania was, not only for digital nomads, but also for families and especially for families with young children because she was traveling with her two young sons at the time. So my family and I had been in Italy actually for the second time in our travels and we were literally looking at the map going, where do we want to travel next? And we went, oh, hey, look at that. Just on the other side of the Adriatic, there's Albania. That's super close. Why don't we go check it out? So we hopped on a flight. It was only an hour and a half from Pisa and we landed here and Albania has far and away exceeded all of our expectations. So we just love it so much here. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love how it's kind of like you, as soon as you mentioned like you and your husband looking at this map, I had this vision because that's exactly how we live our lives, right? It's like, well, how do I feel today? Do I feel like Europe or do I feel like Asia? Do I want to go to like, seriously, people think that there's this rhyme and reason and plan always. And sometimes the plan happens once you've already taken the leap and you've landed yeah. feet first into a country, you know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Exactly. You just that is never so know. True. And it's hilarious for me looking back on the journey that we've been on so far because I was so reluctant. I mean, really digging in my heels about not leaving the United States long term initially. Like I would have, if my husband had just suggested that we go on vacation to Japan for a week, I'd have been like, yeah, great, let's go, no problem. But when he was talking about moving there, I really dug in. I was against it. And then <laughs> 
he said, uh, I said, finally, okay, you know, I guess I could get used to living in Tokyo. And he backed up and he was like, no, I want to live anywhere but one of the big cities. And I was like, whoa, all over again. We had to pull it back. And we had this deep, really deep conversation again about what our lives might look like in a new place. And so to go from that, granted, that was 13 years ago now, but to go from that to literally like spinning the globe going, hmm, where do we want to go next? It's, uh, it's a true indicator of just how much we have grown in our capacity for not only handling the sort of discomfort that comes with massive growth, but really just leaning into the wild and wonderful adventure that all of this uh, nomadic living and world schooling has really brought into our lives. And we really can't imagine living any other way now. I bet because it's like once you've gone through that expansion, there's just no way that you can go back to any kind of restrictions. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> It's really freeing. We want to make sure you'll never miss a show. So be sure to swing by our website at chroniclesabroad.com where you can subscribe via iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. While you're at it, we'll appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you simply tell a friend or five about the show, that will help us out big time. We would love to have you join our growing Facebook community. Yes, y'all. We finally opened up our group called Chronicles Abroad Collective. This is the name of the group. This is where we share tips, resources, and encouragement. If you love the episodes, then you'll love the community even more. Simply click the join button. Can't wait to see you guys there. So I know you mentioned kind of briefly, like some people who've seen you, uh, your whole family, they're, this is the first time they've seen an interracial family. Can you just tell us a little bit more what's that's like been for your family traveling abroad and living abroad as an interracial family? Any frustrations there? Any positives? Uh, share with our audiences who are in the same boat as you. Well, the first thing I really want to point out is that unlike in the United States, where, especially in the South, where my husband and I lived for several years, there is definitely racism, um, but I wouldn't say that there is as much hostility toward my darker skin, toward us being together. There's a lot more curiosity. And even though there is the racism and there are biases that people have, there are lots of just, you know, crazy stereotypes that people have been taught from a very young age. Um, people are really, really, the curiosity, it's, it's really comes from a more innocent place. People like really just don't know. Uh, people have, you know, seen crazy movies movies or TV shows or things like that. But for some people, I mean, like literally coming up to me and touching my skin to see if the black will rub off, that's a real thing. <laughs> and I know that the prospect of that can make a lot of people really uncomfortable. But as a teacher, I mean, deep down in my core, I really just love to help enlighten, to educate, to expand people's minds. And so having that sort of opportunity just randomly walking down the street when I meet people is an absolute thrill for me. I love it. And I love all of the attention that we get. And I'm thankful for the fact that, you know, we're the type of people that are open and encouraging to the sort of questions that come because we get all kinds of questions. And I'm thankful that my son is so open and he thrives on being the center of attention. And he gets so much 
positive attention to. People always wanting to uh, stroke his cheeks and give him hugs and kisses and touch his hair and take pictures with him. <laughs> it's really funny. Um, He's like a little celebrity. <laughs> really, really is. And I used to joke with him about how crazy his life must seem. But one day he was like, but it's not really crazy, mommy. This is just normal for me. And the truth of the matter is <laughs> that is his normal. And so rather than just laughing and joking about it now, we recognize that this is just as much a part of his education and upbringing as you know going to regular school is for many children. And it gives him so many opportunities to practice clear communication skills, which he would definitely get uh, as he practiced, like I said, just by the time he was six years old, uh, clearly expressing to people, please don't touch my hair when he was just not in the mood in several different languages. So it's all really positive and encouraging and I said educational all around. I love it. I love it. And, you know, the thing about it is I'm glad you mentioned, you know, the differences of the hostility against race in other countries. I don't necessarily call it racism. I call it colorism, you know, because it's a real thing globally, you know. Francis and I both have lived in Asia, Southeast Asia, you know, in these homogenous countries, and we're the only people of color, you know, really yeah. in that area. And um, like you said, it's not a hostility, like, ill, why? It's more like, wow, you know what I mean? <laughs> like, it really, to, really is. Like, it's a huge curiosity, like, you know, they're looking at you like, where did you come from? How did you yeah. get here? And, and, you know, that kind of thing. And it's mm-hmm. not a like, go back where you came from kind of situation. So there is no, no not real host. I haven't had much hostility in any country that I've traveled to. And as a dark skinned woman, I'm very visible. Oh, you yes. Know? <laughs> very visible. So, you know, people can see me from a mile away. But like, is, is that person dark? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? So yes. I get it. I get it. And I see it all the time. Mm-hmm. But um. I did want to just say something really briefly and something that you said, Karen, I just want to underscore it because this is what made your travel experiences so much better and and so much more positive is the fact that you said you were open and willing. And I think a lot of people go abroad with certain expectations Mm -hmm. and those expectations sometimes hinders their experiences and makes traveling not as fulfilling or maybe they're agitated. But the fact that you, you know, I always say like, I don't get upset at the fact that people want to touch my hair uh it's just an, it's time for a conversation yeah. you know i don't like it frankly but it's just <laughs> it, but you know it's just it's just curiosity mm-hmm. and if you approach it in a very open and welcoming space it will make your travels a lot more fun mm-hmm. a lot more meaningful and a lot more interesting uh so as long as you keep that positive energy it will be received and we talked about this before francis also about how i think us traveling being travelers have opened up us to be more patient oh yes you know like (laughs) relax it's okay you know what I mean (laughs) like I've lived in countries that don't expect people to be moving you know quickly because that's just not in their culture right so no you're absolutely right there are so many things that happen at a completely different pace here in Albania so many places around the world it's just very different from the way I grew up in Southern California and it was very interesting to me too because we talked about the hair thing for example people are super curious
serious about hair. And I actually transitioned from relaxed hair to natural hair while I was in Japan. And I've gone through this, you know, crazy hair journey where I've had, you know, all sorts of things from straight hair to, you know, figuring out what are these waves in my hair to putting in braids and weaves and wigs and, you know, my hair changing drastically from one day to the next. <laughs> Just, you know, there, so there's a lot of curiosity about, you know, well, what's going on there? How does that work? And what I find really interesting is the fact that people are willing to come up and ask me, but then when it comes to my son, they're just straight in with the hands, really up close. <laughs> and so there again is another opportunity, like you said, for conversation and teaching other people that the Curiosity is just fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But expressing that curiosity with your mouth first, <laughs> making a request rather than diving in hands first is really the better way to go. And it baffles me still that people understand that when it comes to adults, but don't have that same respect for children. So it's a great opportunity, like I said, in which we encourage, uh, especially for my son, to be very clear and to speak up and to create those boundaries. I love the fact you said boundaries, because I think even, you know, it has nothing to do with travel. I think boundaries mm. just need to be had, period. You know, no matter where you are in the world, you have to learn how to teach people how to respect you, how to talk mm. to you, how to deal with you and all of those things. Right. Yeah. And I think that's an, a lesson that we all learn as we get older. And sometimes we, you know, tend to lose focus of that at times you know, mm -hmm. and then have to put ourselves back into a space where it's like, okay, I have to create boundaries, you know? Yeah. So that's a great thing that you're teaching him at a young age, because I think that as parents, we're so quick to want to protect our children from everybody mm -hmm. and everything that we do it for them. You know, like don't do, don't, and, and we're not giving them the opportunity to have a voice. Yes, yes. No, it's, it, it is crucial for our son to really step into his own, to be able to declare his boundaries. And there have been times when I have had to physically intervene, for example, when other adults don't want to respect those boundaries, but that's more a demonstration for him so that he knows that that is something that we recognize and are willing to help to protect and support him as he is making those declarations for himself. Awesome. So we're going to pivot just a little bit because yeah. I'm ready to talk about this topic, which is our favorite topic, <laughs> food. Okay. <Yeah. laughs> what is a slow food lifestyle? So it's time to dive deep and look into the holistic perspective of travel. We believe traveling is an investment in you. So our mission is to inspire you to book that flight, check that item off your bucket list and go on that adventure. And our hope is to ignite connections all over the world. Ooh, well, slow food is actually a whole big movement in and of itself that really developed out of a fast food culture that unfortunately comes from our passport country in the United States predominantly, but has really proliferated around the world. And don't get me wrong, <laughs> my family and I still enjoy fast food from time to time, but slow food is about so much more than just what you're eating. It's really a recognition and uh, embracing 
of the entire process by which the food comes to our tables. And that has to do with actually acknowledging and respecting the earth from which, you know, the fruits and the vegetables are grown and respect for the animals that give their lives for those of us who eat meat. And it's about taking care and getting to know and understand and respect the time and the process that all goes into the massive development of nourishing our bodies. And really slow has become in a lot of ways, a bad word. I mean, here we are in the information age when we can communicate all the way across the world in a matter of seconds. And so in a lot of ways, we've kind of become impatient as people. And so what I love about cooking and the way that I teach cooking is about returning to a process that is slow. And slow is not a bad thing. Slow is deliberate. It is thoughtful. It is respectful. And it can be really meditative too. It's just really diving in and being present. And there is so much to learn from the process. And that's what's really a lot of fun for me to be able to share with people. I, oh my gosh, every everything that you just said resonated with me because, no, honestly, because nobody really truly looks at it that way, right? Mm-hmm. Because fast food is so prevalent in the US, it's no big deal. But what ended up happening is when you land in some of these countries and the moment you get off the flight and you see KFC and, you know, Domino's and McDonald's and Burger King, you're seeing the impact, right? Fast food is having around the world. And it's not a positive impact because culturally, culturally, food is cooked you know, at a slower pace, right? Grandma's in the kitchen for two hours. Mom's been, you know, marinating something since overnight. And, you know, like I'm in Mexico and I had watched on uh, Netflix this thing called Taco Chronicles. And they talked about like sheep, right? The barbacoa. Barbacoa is like the sheep meat that's wrapped in um, agave leaves and then buried under the ground in like a fire pit. And it's cooked, yeah. and, and you know, overnight. And that just knowing the process of how this food was cooked makes me appreciate yes. every bite of that food more yes. than else. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so when I take a bite of a barbacoa taco in my head, I'm thinking about this meat just underground, marinating for hours. Like mm-hmm. it, I have an appreciation for it. So I totally understand yes. the level of love for slow cooking. Because mm-hmm. there is a level of love that goes into cooking. There really, really is. I think it also speaks to what you're, the word that came up for me is intentionality. And it's just being intentional mm-hmm. with the food that you create mm-hmm. because energy is transferable. Oh, yeah. So it's like when you're, when you're cooking, when you're doing things with your hands and with a feeling, you're transferring that energy to whatever you're trying to create. Mm-hmm. So for me, I'm thinking, you know, this whole slow food lifestyle is being intentional, slowing down, showing your gratitude being appreciative and just enjoying that present moment with the food. Yes. And what's really amazing too, is that everywhere we've been, we've had the opportunity to connect with people who cook, with people who grow, with people who raise animals, with people who have some understanding of some of the like really old school, traditional food practices and so much of a culture, so much 
of the geography of the land, the history of the peoples can be traced through the food. And so much is transmitted, not only through the process and the way things come together, but the conversations around the dinner table. And as a mother, as a teacher, those are the things that I really want to encourage other parents to embrace as well. Because in this fast paced, fast food world that we're all living in, it's really easy to get caught up and being busy. And I've got to get to the next thing and do the next thing and the next thing. When sometimes what we really need to do is just to slow down and be present right here, right now, face to face with the people that we love because there is so much happening in the moment and we don't want to miss that. Also with ourselves. Yes. How many times do we get lost, <laughs> right? In the process because we're so focused on everybody else and everything else mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and really just don't take time out for ourselves to really understand. Like I didn't, for me, I can say I didn't understand the type of traveler I was until I got out and I started traveling on my own. Oh, yes. <laughs> you know, I learned so much about myself and how I process, mm-hmm. you know, by spending time by myself. Yeah. But as, as a parent, I never really had that time, right? Because all my mm-hmm. time went into my children. And then when I wasn't parenting, I was working. So all that time went into my employer or my job. And then when mm-hmm. I wasn't working or parenting, if I'm with friends, then my time went into my social time. But I mm-hmm. never really actually had time to myself until I left and I had nothing but goddamn time to myself. <laughs> And that is so true. And as much as, you know, most of my clients are moms, you know, moms with multiple children, traveling moms, homeschooling moms, other world schooling moms like myself. And as women, we always want to give. We want to create. We want to nourish. We want to nurture. We want to give to everybody else. And so some of the really important lessons that I share are about slowing down and refilling our own cups as well. And I will never forget, I posted a picture on Instagram one time and it was of a French press that I was using to make tea. And I remember one mom reaching out to me privately after that to say, that was so beautiful and I couldn't wait to do that for myself. And that taking the time just to simply brew a single cup of tea for herself was so rich and so rewarding. She just had those five minutes to herself, but it was such a private and a personal act of self-care. And she said that just lit her up and inspired her like to get through a whole week. And I said, now just imagine if you took that five minutes to yourself every single day. And her mind was just completely blown. <laughs> so Karen, are you saying it doesn't take much to really take care of yourself? It doesn't take much. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But when we it do doesn't. it, we recognize the powerful impact that it has. And just like every good thing, we want to be able to have more of that, to do more of that, because that nourishes and nurtures us to be able to give more too. Exactly. Wow. Okay, y'all. Well, y'all got a lesson on self-care right here on Chronicles Abroad with Miss Karen M. Ricks. <laughs> the nomadic chef. <laughs> the nomadic chef. Okay. She balances cooking, being a wife, being a mom, you know, and just being an all-around 
worldly woman. So thank you so much, Karen, for being here with us. So before we let you go, okay, we have this thing that we like to call the hot seat. So we're going to ask you a couple of rapid fire questions and you just come with it, okay? Okay. Uh, Francis, you want to start us off? Sure. Now tell the truth, Karen. Okay. Early, late, or always on time? I tend to be a little bit late usually. (laughs) 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 Okay. Coffee, tea, or smoothies? Tea, without a doubt. Hostel, hotel, or Airbnb? Oh, you know, I love a good hotel when I just want a vacation, but having our own home, our own really home with a kitchen, nothing beats it. So would that be Airbnb, you say? Yeah. Okay. Group or solo travel? Group. Our family's a group. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) Breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Yes, yes, and yes. (laughs) (laughs) That's the best response ever. (laughs) Yes, please. I love it. But if you had to choose one, what would be your favorite? Breakfast for dinner. (laughs) I'm the same way. I love breakfast. And breakfast for dinner is even just like a treat. Exactly. Gosh, I haven't done that in years. Breakfast really? for dinner. Oh, yeah. my goodness. I really <laughs> well, you know what it is? I think that, you know, because I live in these countries where breakfast really isn't a thing, right? They no, eat dinner for breakfast, you know? Yeah. In Asia, yeah. there wasn't, they're not cooking pancakes and eggs and bacon. You know what I mean? They're having no, we have fish and rice. Exactly. And- for breakfast. And now yeah. in Mexico, and they don't, I I mean, the most they have is eggs, right? So they're having like huevos all the time, but they're eating it in a taco. (laughs) They're eating it with flank steak. I've always loved breakfast foods and breakfast brunch. I should say brunch is one of my favorite meals. But the fact that we've traveled to so many places where, like you said, people seem to be doing what we think of as lunch or dinner at breakfast time makes breakfast for dinner that much more special in my eyes. And that's part of the reason that we love to cook because it doesn't matter where in the world you are, you can create exactly what you want to eat when you want to eat. That raises a question though. Is breakfast an American thing? No, I don't say that it's really an American thing, but I think that we as Americans tend to have a very strict and narrow construct of what breakfast should look like. And we have this specific grouping, uh, this category of foods that are breakfast foods that a lot of the world just doesn't recognize as necessary or ideal first thing in the morning. That's all. Yeah, I think it's just a culture thing. It's just different. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Karen. We totally appreciate you taking the time out to sit with us to, I mean, shine some light on some things. I mean, this conversation was great. It was a great meeting you. I love your energy. Yeah. I was telling friends, I was like, her energy is so infectious. Like, you know, I, I was like, I love it. I was going to say, I mean, your voice is so soothing. I'm like, have you tried doing meditation, you know, <laughs> CDs? Do they do even do CDs? But you know what I'm saying? Like, just because it's, yeah. No, I appreciate <laughs> saying that so much. I actually have had a whole nother side career as a singer. Oh, so my voice is one of the things you that dropped that at the end, huh, Karen? Yeah, multi-talented, <laughs> multifaceted. Conversation Karen. for another time. <laughs> Conversation for another time. Well, you know, you can always turn the food situation into what is that? ASR, MSAR, whatever, ASMR. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, life, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a lifestyle. I know it's, it's interesting. It is. I've had a few requests that I sing while I cook, and I occasionally do that in some of my private cooking classes. So. 
Okay, girl, you, look, you got a little niche going on there. You better get with it. Okay. <laughs> if they're asking for it, you know, if they want it, build it, build it they will come. Well, and when I do host some of our culinary and cultural tours, and so when I do private dinners, that usually includes a song upon request. That's so. awesome. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, hopefully one day, Francis and I will be able to cross paths with you somewhere in this Absolutely. world. Absolutely. Maybe Albania. It has to be a matter of if, just when and That's where. Right. I love it. I love it. Karen, thank you again for being with us. Being with us. We truly appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Karen. Thank you for tuning in to Chronicles Abroad. Please support us by sharing this podcast through your social media platforms. Head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Follow us on Instagram and hit that like button at Chronicles underscore abroad. Find us online at our website, chroniclesabroad.com for tips, resources, and ways we can collaborate. So don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Until then, beautiful people, thanks for listening. Music by Stephanie James and Almighty K-Rock, produced by Adam Marcus.